All Things Techie Podcast is a product of the Extreme Media Network. For advertising and sponsorship opportunities, please visit www.extrememedia.ie. That's X-T-R-E-M-E, media.ie. So it's the All Things Techie Podcast. I love when we have Irish people on the program. Like We try, try to keep it Irish. Um, you know what? This, this side of the year, we have actually kept most of our episodes Irish. I'm joined with... Sean Higgins, he's from Future Proof Media and Future Proof Insights. Sean, before you explain what the company's all about, give me a bit of your background in technology. Perfect. So firstly, look, Justin, just want to say thanks a million for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so on myself, I suppose uh, my kind of tech journey, I suppose, started out um, straight out of college. So I began working uh, with Accenture in a base there in Dublin, straight out of our, straight out of college, and I worked in kind of systems integration. So, doing a lot of kind of large scale implementations in, in kind of big pharma, kind of consumer goods and services kind of industries. So, got great exposure. Worked with a lot of great people, a lot of clever people uh, throughout that kind of space and time. I stayed there for for a couple of years, and then got kind of the itch to 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 go and do something myself. So made a, a bit of a pivot, you might call it, where I went from, from the tech industry into kind of the creative side of things, and I set up Future Proof Media with a, with a good friend of mine, Connor Talty. And so went from, from kind of, I suppose, big tech to small, small agency, small approach, and, and, and fully creative. So it was a very, very kind of big change to the, change to the, the pace and to the approach, but it was, a, it was a great learning curve. And then kind of, out of that and the growth of the company, we, we then we launched Future Proof Insights. So it's kind of like a partner business um, under the same umbrella where we actually now we do consumer insights research, but kind of through the lens of consumer neuroscience and biometrics uh, and kind of basically using neural, neural inferences to inform kind of consumer information, and consumer research. So I have to ask then, what was the degree in in, in, in university? So I graduated from Trinity College with uh, in the management science and information system studies. So back uh, back when I did it, it wasn't um, it, it wasn't quite as popular as it is now. So it's a uh, it, it's a bit of a hot topic. But I think uh, I kind of snuck in there before it uh, and, and and got in ahead of the curve maybe. Now <laughs> I I sort of understand it as a tech, but for people that don't understand what the the whole end of neuroscience is, like I've I've been looking at. Uh, Future Insights website, and you talk about your different services of being able to like eye tracking. Now, for for the basic consumer like me, I'll go onto a website, I'll see something that I like, I go, yeah, but you know what? I'll, I'll come back to that. The kids need to be fed, or maybe I should ask the missus, or maybe I shouldn't even mention that I'm going to buy this product. You know, like we, I've I've seen. I've seen a, a good website during during COVID uh, at the beginning of the lockdown, Sean, where where you could buy things like a food menu and and charge it back to your company. They had names for different things that you might want, such as like a couple of cans of beer could be actually put down as a keyboard on a receipt. <laughs> but we're not telling people to do that. Just want to make that clear. But, you, you go into online, you go into a shopping cart, you might park it and not return to it. But then all of a sudden you're getting emails or you're getting reminders or your cookies is throwing up the same image of that product that you have looked at, whether it be on Amazon or whether it be on another online store. 
Is this mm. all related to what you guys do? So I, I suppose in a sense it would be. So I know with, uh, we've all seen kind of the, the recent changes in, in kind of tracking and, and data privacy and all the, the different kind of restrictions, whether it's the iOS update that came through earlier in the year, people are kind of valuing their privacy. Um, but I suppose where this all came from originally was that, you know, when you're looking at those kind of optimized customer journeys where, you know, you look at a pair of runners on the Nike website and then everywhere you go across the internet e ecosystem, that pair of runners is following you until you buy it. But um, where we kind of, and I suppose the motivation for setting up Future Proof Insights was that every element of the, uh, I suppose, the consumer journey and customer journey has been optimized almost to the nth degree. So whether it is your ads, your media buying, your even to the, the, the you, you've got bots on sites to, to interact with from a customer service perspective, all this sort of stuff is going on. It's all brilliant. Um, but the one thing that really was a glaring kind of opportunity for us was that creative work and design work, whether it's UX or it's, you know, the actual ads, is still very objective. So people are still using their opinion or, or you know, people are still being asked, what do they actually think of something? And, you know, the, the interesting thing about it is when you ask people questions, there's a strong possibility that they're going to lie. So, yeah, or yeah, they might, or they, or they mightn't even have the capability of articulating what what they actually felt. So, and people we... don't like filling out surveys. You know, like they people exactly. get, especially when they're multiple choice from one to five, you're not going to get as much an accurate answer as the way you guys do it. Absolutely, yeah. So, essentially, then, like where we kind of came came upon the idea and and what kind of kind of strengthened the, the case for setting up future proof insights was around optimizing creative experiences and, and I suppose consumer experiences from the perspective of you know things that happen to you automatically and I suppose the way I always would explain it is that if you think of your brain as you know the most powerful prediction engine you could possibly encounter so the amount of information that we absorb through whatever uh, whichever of our senses it is whether it's sight uh, touch, smell, whatever it is, audio, all different aspects. We're able to process that and make predictions that are in our best interest. So I suppose supposed to be in our best interest would be uh, the caveat, I'd say. So what you'd often find is when you start kind of looking at it through this lens, it, you start realizing that, well, sometimes I don't always behave in my best interest, whether it is, you know, staying up late, you know, whether it's, you know, people smoke, they know it's not good for them, they still do it. So people behave in irrational ways that can't be explained by by pure logic and there's enough literature out there that kind of explains that around 90 to 95 percent of our brain activity is happening uh, below our level of sub of conscious processing so essentially we're on autopilot as frightening as that sounds <laughs> that's actually very scary 95 yeah. percent of the time we're on autopilot that yeah is, i see yeah so it's, it's, it's interesting and, and in a sense that a lot of things that you might think are, are very considered actions sometimes aren't. They're actually quite irrational in the sense that, you know, or even how you may, came to make what you made a considered purchase, whether it is, you know, purchase of a car. You would think, you know, if you're going to spend 50, 60, 70,000 on a very, very high end car, then what you might really think is, oh, that you would have gone to 12 dealerships, checked it all out studied extensively online but what you'd actually find when you analyze most people is that it's a, it's quite an irrational decision linked to things like status and 
and motivating factors and feelings that people actually have in response to, to, the, to the product or, or whatever it is, the advertisement. So in saying all that, it, what we want to do is understand that interaction that you're having automatically. And we want to be able to basically measure all the data that comes in in parallel and filters into our platform and then spit it out in a consumable and an understandable way. So you kind of hinted at some of the, the measures that we use, whether it is eye tracking, so we can measure attentiveness, your visual gaze paths, where you're looking and how you're looking at it. So how attentively you might, you know, attend to a particular experience can, you know, you can make multiple inferences from that, from just the eye tracking alone. So it's quite okay, valuable. Let's, let's have a look at the eye tracking. Are you physically getting a load of people into a room and just doing product testing and just watching their eye movement across the product or? So that would be if we were to do an eye tracking only study, what we would do is we have two approaches. We have our, our lab based tests. Well, we call it lab based. There's um, there's no white coats and there's there's no uh, <laughs> there's nobody walking around with clipboards or anything like that. It's uh, essentially screen based where you'll be hooked up to, to our, our, our devices and you'll come in and you'll execute a specific test journey whilst uh, logged into our platform. That's uh, That would be essentially your, your lab-based approach, but we also have our online approach where we can circulate, you know, your cloud-based link and anyone with, a, a I suppose, a semi-modern laptop or, or, or device can, can log in and execute the test through their, um, through their webcam. And so the trade-off in those is that, you know, flexibility and scalability trades off with precision so our lab-based test and a lab-based approach would be a little more uh, precise than than say our remote approach but you do have the flexibility of you know casting the net wide meeting people in their their home environments and all these sort of kind of trade-offs that you would have versus the lab-based environment so for for the online version and i guess you had to do a lot of that during the COVID lockdowns would you be just telling your your testers okay turn on your webcam are you able to trace it to a webcam yeah so essentially what they would they'll be on the receiving end of, of, of a cloud-based link and they'll log in and that will essentially log into their instance of our of our test study and they will have their full test script it'll be fully immersive um the test journey whatever we're doing if it is you know ux you know you have a fancy new uh new design on your on your site or your e-com platform or whatever it may be we'll send them out we, sh we can shoot them out from the test experience to the actual instance and then we can have them execute specific tasks and steps and, and so on. And, and they will be under observation. But I suppose now, like it would be a good time now, I suppose, to say like the real value in what we do would be, that would be what we've talked about is a single eye tracking, it's called study. And while extremely valuable and, and a huge wealth of insight comes from that, what we do is actually called a multimodal approach. So what we do is we would analyze your eye tracking in parallel with your facial expression analysis in conjunction with your uh, your galvanic skin response and maybe your your eeg uh, so of your electroencephalography okay. so all these big words so i i will break them yeah. down do, a do, please bit. break them down a bit like the, the, the so the skin one let's go with the so, skin so yeah so the galvanic skin response is essentially measuring your skin condu conductivity so your sweat for uh, which is a, a nice way of saying how much you perspire so the value in your skin conductivity is actually extremely powerful because when we experience an emotion we perspire it's at a micro level so it's not it's not the most glamorous thing you might hear in the world but we perspire so if you were to take for example um from a ux perspective if someone is, is executing the test script we would have them 
object we'd be observing their their eye tracking and where they're attending to on screen but then what would happen is you'd 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 notice in their data a particular spike in emotional response so and then they perspire so that might be linked to you know a specific kind of what you might call a tripwire or a bug or you know just something in the exposure or in the journey that's just not really ticking the box or it's causing stress so the flip side of that is if you experience something extremely pleasing or you know easy on the eye or something you know maybe you watch a tv ad and you watch it through to completion and you wait for that big crescendo at the end I know all the Christmas ads are coming out now, so it's actually quite topical. But oh, you know, yeah. you'll have the. I, I have to when you go into topical. I always have to. I have to address the the latest John Lewis ad. It's it's yeah. like it's yeah. like as if John Lewis always come out with an ad that causes controversy in some way, shape, or form. You know, we were talking about the boy that's dressed up in in it as a girl, and I know even joke emails now have, or joke mocks of these videos, like yeah, uh, the, they added the jerks condoms at the end of the John Lewis ad as a oh, joke, geez. you know. Yeah, well, there we go. There was a, a bit of a mock because the the boy is absolutely tearing apart the place with all the the girl clothes on. But mm. then John Lewis comes out and says, "We didn't want to actually give that message in the advert, and everyone took it mm. wrong." But surely they did know that they were going to trigger this type of response as well, or are they? Is it secretly that they're aiming to get that response so everyone talks about the John Lewis ad at Christmas time? Well, you know, I I can't speak for John Lewis or or, yeah, or, or the creative the creative agency, but you know they've always had um, a tremendous power to spark discussion, and hmm. I think you know now uh, part of me would think maybe they regret releasing the the original blockbuster ad because now they're under so much pressure every year to perform. And everybody's yeah. waiting for the John Lewis, the John Lewis creative to land. Um, in terms of you know, I'd say sparking discussion is definitely high, high, high on the radar. Sparking these kinds of discussions, I'm not so sure about it. I, 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 I suppose I'd err on the safe side and say they probably wouldn't be trying to to to, to land that sort of a well, kind of a, between um, that. A between that and Paddy Power, Paddy Power always aims for controversy, <laughs> and, and they, okay. it, it works. You know, I think the the between the, the I think the biggest one of controversy in Ireland was like sticking an English flag on a building in Pier Street in the city centre of Dublin. Like, like they know yeah. exactly what they're up to. <laughs> to be honest. They are oh, they yeah they, and and even when you think of the, the two lads they had on, on in on the mural, Declan Rice and and and. Jack Grealish so you know that was designed to strike a chord and I suppose the big thing is and I suppose it ties into what John Lewis are doing and what Paddy Power are doing and, and what we're actually trying to measure is that that's triggering an emotional response and and you remember that because that triggered an emotional response so the power of of emotion is uh, in the use of advertising or whatever it may be you know your whole brand experience if you can it, it allows you to and, and I heard a great way of phrasing it from um, from uh, I think it was Orlando Wood. He's he's a he's kind of a guru in the advertising world. But he said emotion is very powerful in the sense that it uh, orientates attention or orients attention in the sense that you if you if there's something particularly emotional, it will grab your attention and you'll focus on it and you'll start you you basically perk up. Perk, think of it essentially like perking your ears up like your like your pet dog. Maybe. Then what it'll do is it'll create associations uh, within your mind. So what it does is it's like think of it as like a cheat sheet to write memories into your brain because if you think of all the the think of coca-cola now and you think of red 
you think of Christmas for the Christmas ad, you think of all these things that they've spent years driving home and all this messaging and these associations that they're, they're driving home. But these are all built off emotional responses and they can be small or they can be extremely powerful. Like, you know, for example, when you watch the, the John Lewis ad and you have that emotional response or one that we always kind of uh, use as an example was last year's Super Value Christmas ad when um, the child was asking, is he coming? Is he coming? Is he coming? And it meant, it, it meant granddad, not Santa. Yes, of course. Exactly. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and it couldn't but hit you in the fields. Um, but I remember that vividly because of the power of the emotional response it had. So you make these associations and you remember. And then the third kind of strength that like having an emotional response has is that it makes it very easy to recall the brand. So when you're at the point of purchasing and you've thought of all the Coca-Cola ads come to mind and all these associations come flooding back because you've been triggered by the product or by the advertisement or whatever it is, it makes it very easy to call and make your make your purchasing decision. So ultimately what you're actually doing is making it, it actually impacting the consumer's behavior through all these inferences that you've made and all these behaviors and all these associations you've formed over time, which are related through your relationships that you've built through advertising, customer experience, your even the design of your branding, everything across the whole kind of uh, organization's ecosystem, every touch point you have can essentially be, be measured under this kind of scope. So, if then coming back, I suppose, to where, when we kicked off was around the, the different measurements. So we've kind of covered your galvanic skin response. So the, the, the interesting thing about that is we can measure how, I suppose, how strongly you feel the emotion as well as the, the presence of an emotion and how emotional the, uh, the experience was. So sticking with TV ad or even, you know, even if we use this podcast as a, as a, as a stimulus, we could measure the the average kind of emotional response over the course of the exposure so what that means is you know for for the hour or per minute we could say you experience 5.5 moments of arousal or emotional response throughout that course throughout the course of that but the interesting thing is that is actually only the presence of an emotion it doesn't say whether it's positive or negative so if you listen to something that's particularly frustrating you know some people might hear there might be a jingle on the radio and you're like i can't believe i'm hearing that again but that is, doesn't mean it's completely negative because that is still encoding memory. It's still driving home an emotional response. It's still triggering something. So there's not, you know, the, the whole, the old kind of phrase, um, there's no such thing as bad publicity. It, it kind of applies in this sense. But what we then do when we have, I suppose, we know the presence of an emotional moment, what we have is then our facial expression analysis. And what that is, is works through the webcam or through any camera where you'll have essentially your landmarks on your face will be kind of picked out and we'll be measuring your micro micro expressions on your face and how they aggregate up into displayed emotions. So we have essentially nine, nine displayed emotions, two positive and, and, and the vast majority are actually funnily enough negative. Um, but we, we basically want to, to measure them micro movements and then tally that. And the interesting thing, how it all comes together now, it all sounds very scientific, but just using those three kind of, uh, I suppose, modules is that we can say what you're looking at. We can say whether it's triggered in response, a response, and then we can label that response. So, for example, we think that that final crescendo moment of the super value ad, you're going to be looking at the child and the, and the, the, the grandfather embracing. You're going to experience a, an onset of, of, of an emotional response. And then it's probably going to be an awe or a joy moment or, or some blend of the two. And we can then quantify the amplitude of all those things. Wow. Okay. Um, 
so it's it's get it's a it's quite specific um and it's quite downstream in terms of, of what we're doing um in terms of the insight level but when you do an insight and when you do surveys like this how many people would you be trying to get as a quota to before you go oh, right this ad is having impact so it's it in terms of what we do it's very i suppose very precise so in we don't need to go at the same scale as what you think in terms of rolling out omnibus surveys where you need to recruit you know 1000 people or 1500 to have a nat rep sample we can actually kind of operate on a 30 to 35 respondent basis so if you wanted to kind of evaluate a creative um you you kind of work on that basis um, 50 is quite a strong kind of uh, strong ground to get but if you wanted a, an entirely nat rep sample you could end up in around the region of 150 people so interestingly what you notice is that a lot of people have a lot of similar responses to to uh to the exposures and and they be, there's a, a kind of a drop off a diminishing returns effect uh, essentially to uh to the i analysis. guess you're you're working on all types of ads because <laughs> You know, you you think of some of the road safety ads with the road safety authority, and you see like the horrors of crashes. <laughs> and the, I remember there there used to be an ad, ad that my late dad couldn't watch, where the the car flips and crashes into the kid over the wall, and mm, never ever drive. Yeah. Like, but it it had that impact. Um, mm. would you be doing all types? Would you be going down the the from one end of horror right up to the joyous occasion of adverts that you're dealing with? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it, it's always easy to to remember the kind of the we call them the awe moments or, or whatever it is. But but shock and I suppose you know that 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 horror moment is equally as as effective. You know, you, you think of all the different kind of ads that have had that that shocking effect where. The road safety ones are the ones that kind of jump to mind. Sometimes the um, the the anti-smoking adverts kind of stick out from a maybe a different angle, not so much shock, but more maybe disgust. But it, what's interesting is that you know they all have a, they're all still designed to drive an emotional response, uh, and and essentially the framework for for analysing the ads doesn't change from our perspective. They just have a, a different output and a different kind of uh, result. But they're essentially, you know, analyzed in a, in a very similar process. And, and sometimes you might actually use them to baseline off each other to understand if maybe someone was, maybe a brand might come to us and ask the question, we're still in the ideation stage and we're trying to decide where to go or, you know, how to design it. And, and we might say, well, look, what we could do is a rough cut kind of boilerplate test where we can it, see it's sort of, what you're, works. You're sort of answering my next question. Like, how do you, how do you, do, do you design this out? Do you mock up an ad, do a bit of a, a survey, get people into the room, see what their responses are, and then maybe go back to the drawing board again with with another production? So what can actually happen is we, we can fit this into, I suppose, any phase of the, the creative journey. So what's important from the outset uh, in what we do is to iron out, like, what is your research question? So what do you actually want to know? So sometimes it could be the creative is, is already done. The video work is produced. You've packaged up um, and they just want to know, you know, how is this performing? Is this tick in the box? Does it have the desired response? Or we could come in very early in the storyboard and we could do some, some readouts when they could, you know, we could have a, a kind of a small storyboard and you, I would read the concept to you while you're under observation and we'd see how that responds with you. Then maybe some read of some some uh, some graphical representations or mock-ups. Then to like version one, version two, etc. 
you know, what we, the, the flexibility and what we do is really the, the beauty of it in the sense that the platform allows for any sort of input to be put under observation. So what it means is we can actually flex, like kind of flex the, the design of the study to make sure that we cater towards the needs of the client. Now, I guess, I guess uh, audio comes in and plays a massive part in this because <laughs> I, I, my example is that I stick on cartoons on like I, I, I joked about this in our last episode of the podcast with my co-host Simon that that us two guys have nice big 55 and 65 inch TV screens and what do we put on it? YouTube kids and Netflix for kids all day long, you know, to just keep the kids entertained at home after school. But my two-year-old daughter, as soon as she sees the Netflix logo come up on screen, she goes, dung like she knows the mm. actual dung that of the Netflix logo. And she's two years yeah. of age. Like, it's just like the old idea of like when we used to play computer games where okay i'll show my age but when we've seen the old sega master system logo coming up <laughs> you know sega you know being being sung out on on our screen it's amazing how just a small little second long clip can have such impact even just with a logo and um, yeah. so i guess you're playing around with those ideas as well yeah, so I suppose the, the thing about our senses is we, we've probably 70 plus percent of, of, of everything that our, our brain processes is probably coming through our eyes. So it's, it's in, in and around that kind of a base. Oh, to our eyes. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, so visually. But audio has a, a unique way of bypassing everything uh, and just getting straight to the, to the point. So, you know, interestingly, some things in terms of like, you know, is more on the human behavior kind of side of things is think about if you're you're in a room and you're you're you know at a party or whatever it may be and you're talking to someone but you suddenly hear your name what happens to your attention where does it go and immediately you're listening to the conversation offside and you can't focus on what's happening in front of you so audio has a, a profound ability to, to to cut through essentially cut through the noise for want of a, a better way of labeling it, and, and can grab our attention in a, in a extremely uh, extremely powerful way so in terms of how that would actually map into what we do then is for example you might look at two different backing tracks so you might have an a, a version and a b version and we could do like an a b test um, and understand you know the performance of the the ads or whatever it may be it might even be an audio ad you know for the radio and we can understand and, and understand how people are responding to that and then what what we can do is then make a make a judgment or a recommendation based off of the, the data that we have that this is the the, the top performing uh, creative with this um this audio um other things that you can do is you know there might be elements of the audio within a creative that you might want to to place in a certain part or in a segment and you know you have a 30 second video and you're not sure whether to put this small little line into the thing it's it, you know might be a little risky, might be a little outside the box. So you test it and then we can get, kind of come out and take it from there. And that's some way that we can kind of isolate it. But the, the challenge sometimes with audio is that you, you need to make sure you're controlling the environment and you keep the, the tests as kind of transparent as possible and as comparable as possible. So if you're doing an A-B test, you need to make sure that you're, you're not introducing additional variables that, that you know, don't ensure that it is an audio versus audio uh, test. 
interesting. <laughs> it, it's such a, in, a very, it's a rabbit hole of different things that <laughs> you, you could look at. So it's sort of, with that in mind, how long would it take at, for a starting of a project right to completion of an advert? On, on average. So, yeah. So on average, what you would do is, I suppose, for a boilerplate one where we're just testing the creative um, and, we, and, we, and we hand over a report, what we would do is it probably we'd commission the, the research, uh, gather the requirements, uh, sign off the, the kind of the, the design in inside probably inside a week you know that'd be, that'd be you know and that'd be kind of you know a, a casual enough approach you can ramp it up no problem but you'd be looking at you know ironing out the requirements and building the study inside a week then you'd be collecting the data over the course of another week and you'd probably have your report by the end of the third week so we w want to make sure that we're our turnaround time it's something we pride ourselves on is to turn around our, our turnaround time should be quicker than, than any focus group and should be quicker than any we, we want to take the, that that kind of burden out of research where you know people recruit an agency and they have to go and they have to survey a thousand people and all this sort of stuff and they're waiting on responses now i have to say that the, the survey and the omnibus approach has been streamlined an awful lot with digital panels and stuff like that but what we want to do is and we pride ourselves on, on kind of turnaround time and, and making sure you have actionable insights within kind of a three to 3.5 week um kind of uh, duration now sort of it links in with some of the stuff you do, maybe you don't do as much on a physical environment as when people, consumers walk into an actual shop, there's new technology coming out all the time. I, I don't know, have you ever attended uh, Information Systems Europe or uh, ISE over in Amsterdam and um, some, some of the audiovisual tech conferences like it's, for the past three or four years, it was in Amsterdam. Now it's moved over to Barcelona. Hmm. But, you know, I, I've I've walked in into trade show affairs and you know everyone's every one of the big AV companies is buy, trying to buy your attention, but they're more and more in conference. They they have the technology and the sound to break up the sound bars in that if you were standing to the furthest left, someone could be listening to one language. If you stood in the middle, yeah. someone could be speaking a different language and they're measuring this and they're using this as tracking tools for not just like lobbies of hotels or, you know, um, or interactive museums, but they're also talking about some of the stalls at, at ISE will talk about like the, the trade experience or standing in, in front of an interactive mirror and try on the dress. Has, mm. Have you ever thought with future proof of going down that road or? Yes. Yeah, so the, um, there's a few kind of things in there. Um, the the I'll start with I suppose the the real world testing. So that is 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 viable. It's possible. Um, we can I suppose place people under observation within the real world. The way that changes is that where we were kind of discussing watching a TV ad or whatever it may be, you'll actually be wearing I suppose eye tracking goggles and you'll be kind of navigating around the environment with, with, with your, your biosensors on in, in the real world. Okay. So it just changes the actual environment. And then you now they're, they, they're labor intensive, let's say on the, on the data uh, and on the far end and the analysis, because you know the way you navigate your way through ISE or the way I navigate it are completely different. And the, way you, and the way you attend to things visually with your attention is completely different as well. So it's about trying to, to make these things as uniform as possible. And um, so the, in terms of, of, of where the technology and where the, where the industry and, and where we are, 
all this stuff is possible to do now. But it, it, it then kind of tapping into what you were talking about, things like the augmented reality, the, the mirrors and, and the development of different kind of, I suppose the enhancements in, in technology in general across any industry actually creates an opportunity for us because with every new advancement and every new kind of development, take Meta for, for example, very topical now at the moment, you know, the metaverse is actually, you know, that's an opportunity for us because we can understand how people are, are actually feeling whilst, you know, engaging in, in, in virtual reality kind of, and, and what you might call the simulation. Um, so we, we can actually, these things and all these developments that are outside of our, you know, our internal development kind of um, procedures, are actually creating further opportunities and, and, and really interesting opportunities for us to understand, okay, while it sounds cool, what, what actually, what is the response of people towards these things and, and how, how are they actually navigating it and how are they responding to them? Now, of course, everything you're doing is of an ethical basis. You're, you're recruiting people in. I, ha I can't have you on the show without talking about you know, the, the types of Cambridge Analytica without, the, you know, without talking about that. And it, I, I, I'll take you out of the box of uh, Future Proof Insights and go the Sean Higgins thought, like, I, I, I have coffees with friends and family and stuff. It's like, I hate these Amazon Alexas. I hate these Google Chromes. Like, they're listening mm. to you all the time. And I have friends that are absolutely 110% convinced, Sean, that Google's listening to them all the time because they mentioned that like, oh, I want to have a cigarette and then all of a sudden like, or they're talking about cars and then all of a sudden they're seeing all the things on their cookies. Mm. Oh yeah. So what's yeah, what no. your thoughts? <laughs> or or oh, do you want the comments? <laughs> no, 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 no problem at all. Um, the, the in I suppose in terms of yeah, is your phone listening to you or not? It's a, it's an interesting one. I suppose there's a, there's a few elements to it. Um, people people sometimes don't realize how predictable they are um, yes, and they absolutely. don't realize how, how, how much they fit profiles. Um, now in saying that there are always coincidences that feel a, bit, a little funny and a little uncomfortable. I've experienced them myself, but um, the, again, what, like when you tie it back to this kind of the, the ethical approach to, to, what, to, to, to Cambridge Analytica and, and the way they approached it, like from, from the perspective of what they did and, and the way they used the, the data that they had and, and the methods that they had, like what we do, anything that has the power to persuade needs to be, you know, managed and used in an ethical manner. So what the data that we are, we are taking and the insights that we're generating are essentially tools for persuasion. Um, but there's no point labeling that any other way. So what we need to do is make sure that what we do is always, and sometimes, the word ethical, you know, makes it feel quite corporate and stuffy and, you know, feel like, you know, a big conglomerate's talking. But, you know, on a, on a human level and as, as a person, you need to make sure that it's right. And we need to make sure that what we do is actually making better experiences for the customer or the consumer. And that's kind of how we, you might call it a North Star for something, you know, that, that sounds a bit more visionary. But what we need to do is just make sure that, you know, everything is on track and it's being done for the right reasons. Because, you know, if we do deviate into going down something a little more sinister, like Cambridge Analytica kind of fell into the trap of doing, um, it, it speaks for itself. Look where Cambridge Analytica are now. Look at the problems it created. You know, if Cambridge Analytica hadn't have done that, you know, they'd be one of probably the world's leading research agencies and, and, and data scientists. So the, the, 
the ends justifies the means, really. And it's a zero, it's a zero sum game. And we're here for the long term. We believe in, in what we do. The you, you're selling yourself short going for the, the quick book, uh, and that's Absolutely. something that we, we need to make sure we we we're cognizant of because it, it, it as I said anything and I suppose to tie it all off anything that has the power to persuade people and, and to give inferences on how to persuade people needs to be done cautiously and, and, and ethically and it sort of brings me to the thought of Christmas is coming up children's toys would you delve into the fact of like surveying kids or are you allowed to survey kids in in a more legal ethical question like if 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 a company came to you and said we have the latest toy and we want to see kids reactions let's throw out the word playstation for an example the mm. next new playstation 5 are, are you allowed yeah. to survey kids so in terms of we are allowed uh there's a the legal procedures and consents and all that sort of stuff has once it's above board but from our perspective it would be very important to iron out what is the what is the research question so you know if you're like i suppose if you're trying to optimize your platform or your playstation for you know user engagement and and to you want to hold attention and all these sort of things that when you map them out and extrapolate it over the course of a few years then you know the it could be quite, you know, it could could be a hindrance to a lot of children, you know. So you need to make sure what you're researching and, and the value you're providing and what you're doing is is above board. And you're not designing a monster or helping to design a monster that that can, you know, you know, you know, you think of, you know, the thing that's jumping to mind here is, you know, the the the, net, the documentary on Netflix is the social network, you know, where, yeah, where you have, you know, that's that's the thing that I, I'm thinking of is how these these platforms are optimized and these algorithms are are designed to grab hold and and fixate on your attention and and look we can all we all know and hear of the, the kind of the the court cases that are going on at the moment and and the people that are they're up in front of, of of hearings discussing how certain algorithms are designed to uh i suppose accentuate hate and all these sorts of different things and and that's kind of what's jumping off in my mind when i was saying that we need to make sure what we're researching is for the betterment of the consumer's experience, not just for the benefit of uh, a client as well. John, it's it's been absolutely fascinating. I, I I could have you on all night talking about tech and like even just the whole marketing end of things. I remember when I did my degree way back when in Valley Pharmacology, you know, it, it was like this subconscious of learning about audio and how audio can manipulate and, you know, you know, it, it it didn't go as far as sell me this pen type of approach, but it it's amazing how we've gone from a world of just audio and visual into just looking into some, like okay yeah that the basic fundamentals, but now looking at the tracking of movement between whether it be online or whether it be in the whole aspect of nearly the five senses as you just you you just described. If people want to find out more about Future Proof and yourself, what's the best way of contacting you? So uh, the best place to go for, for any information would be our website, uh, futureproofinsights.ie. Um, but if anyone, you know, if anyone's interested in neuromarketing or consumer neuroscience, just uh, just get in touch with me on LinkedIn. It's the best place to get me, and I'm always happy to have a conversation and uh, always keen to hear uh, some some alternative views on, on, on what we're doing. John, it's been a pleasure having you on, on board and I'll thank you so much for joining us on episode 53.